the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. This is an important verse. And it was then that I got saved because of what this verse is saying to us. You can have a lot of head knowledge. And there are a lot of people who know the Bible and they know about God and they know Jesus, but they don't have a relationship with them. And the relationship comes by personal confession that you proclaim Jesus is Lord with your mouth and you honor him with your life. And so this is how we get saved. It's, it's, but it's close to us. It's as close as confessing with your mouth, believing in your heart. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Romans. Be sure that your knowledge of God isn't getting in the way of a relationship with Him. Pastor Gary teaches you that Paul regularly battled with the Jewish people's dedication to tradition. Their commitment to their rituals blinded them from the fact that their Messiah had arrived. Today, even as a Christian, you can fall into the same trap. If you're not careful, you can mistake religious deeds as godliness. Don't allow church events and theology to take the place of a one-on-one relationship with Christ. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans chapter 9 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. That's the emphasis here. Mercy. So he talks about, I chose Isaac, not Ishmael. He says in this chapter, I chose Jacob, not Esau, even though Isaac and Jacob were the younger sons. Isaac was the younger son of Abraham because Ishmael was the firstborn of Abraham. Though not by the will of God, but by the flesh, Ishmael was older. God says, however, Isaac is my sovereign choice for the purpose of the plan of redemption. Jacob and Esau, again, they're twins. Esau was born first, Jacob was second. But God said, but as far as my sovereign purposes, it is Jacob that I chose. Now, did he chose? Did he choose Jacob? Because God just indiscriminately decided, I'm going to choose Jacob and I don't want to choose Esau. Or did he choose Jacob? Because knowing all things, he already knew that Esau was a man of the flesh. And a man of the flesh is not going to complete the sovereign work of God. 
So the answer is yes. I mean, it's both in operation. But that's one of the places I left off last week. So I just want to clarify. Look at verse 13 of chapter 9. Because speaking about Jacob and Esau, he says here, Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. All right, I didn't know God was a hater. What is that in the Bible for? Well, it's not in the sense of loving and hating like we think. It's a comparative statement. And he's saying that in terms of his divine sovereign purposes, he accepted one, Jacob, who though he was a deceiver, was a man more after God's heart, certainly than his brother Esau, who was a man completely of the flesh. He accepted one and rejected another in terms of his sovereign purposes. But it's a comparative statement, just like, you don't need to turn, but just like Jesus said in John, uh, sorry, Luke 14, 26. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, does Jesus honestly mean that we're to go around hating our immediate family members? No, it's a comparative statement. He's saying, if you don't love me more than anyone else, you can't be my disciple. It's strong language, but it's a comparative statement. It's not saying actually to go around hating them any more than it's saying here in in Romans 9 that he hated Esau. He's just saying in terms of his overall sovereign purposes, Jacob was a man who was more inclined to the spirit. And so God accepted him and used him for his purposes. Whereas Esau was a man more inclined to the flesh. And so God rejected him. But God knew all that in advance anyway. So they're chosen and rejected according to his foreknowledge. Everybody with me so far? All right, if I haven't lost you yet, let's keep reading. Maybe I will as we go through the chapter. And that's no reflection on you. That's a reflection on me. So he goes on to say, verse 16, because he's going to use another example about Pharaoh. He says in verse 16, It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy, it being salvation, right? So we've got that clear. It doesn't depend on... Your desire or your effort, your works, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Now again, this looks like a passage that looks pretty fatalistic. And uh, if you're not familiar with the story, basically the Jews suffered under slavery for 400 years under Pharaoh, king of Egypt, okay, in the Old Testament, book of Exodus. And as a way of setting the Jewish slaves free, God used a series of 10 plagues to get Pharaoh to the place where he was willing, albeit grudgingly, to let the, the Hebrew slaves go. Now, When it speaks here about God hardening whom he wants to harden, someone's heart, and God having mercy on someone that he wants to have mercy, don't interpret that to mean that God just, again, fatalistically decided that Pharaoh was was a dispensable, I should say, was a dispensable human being. And so I'll just use Pharaoh as my tool, and and I'll get him to... To do what he does, and in his rebellion, I will glorify myself, and then I'm just done with him. Okay, almost like a God who just, you know, doesn't have compassion or concern about human life. No, he cares about Pharaoh. You know how much he cares about Pharaoh? He issued 10 different plagues, and when you study the Bible and look at all the 10 plagues, each one of them confronted a false God of the Egyptians. 
And you know why he was doing that? Because he wanted Pharaoh to realize that he was the true and living God and not the gods that they had trusted. Even the 10th plague was a confrontation on Pharaoh himself because the Pharaoh was presented to the Egyptians as a reincarnation of the sun god Ra. And so the death of the firstborn is taking God because Pharaoh's son, the firstborn, was taken and in effect saying, your God is not, is not stronger than the true and living God. But please note, in the Bible, Exodus 7 through 11 are the lists of the 10 plagues. In the first five plagues, it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. When did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Plagues 6 through 10. In other words, what God did was, he said basically this, Pharaoh, if you are going to deny me as the true and living God, if that's the bent of your heart, and you refuse to acknowledge who I am, then I will glorify myself through your rebellious heart. Pharaoh hardened his own heart, first five plagues. God said, okay. Is that the way you're going to be? Then I will glorify myself through the stubbornness of your heart, through the stubbornness of your disbelief, I will glorify myself. And thus, the last few plagues, God did harden Pharaoh's heart. But it is not because God violated his free will. Pharaoh exercised his free will, first five plagues, and therefore God said, if that's your disposition, if that's how you're bent, then I will use your disposition for the benefit of of the glory of myself so that all the rest of Egypt might know that I am the true and living God. And so Paul gives this example here, but not one of fatalism, one of choice that was exercised by Pharaoh, and God will glorify himself either by his mercy or by the way that he uses someone's rebellion against him as a way to highlight that he is Lord. Verse 19, Paul anticipates. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who resists his will? All right, so in other words, he's saying, okay, all this emphasis on God's choice might cause some people to say, well, then, you know, why do we need to do anything? Then if God's going to choose it all for us, then, then maybe none of it's on us. And verse 20, he first gives a little scolding. He goes, well, who are you, old man, to talk back to God, all right? So no, you know, no smack talk about God here, all right? He says, that's disrespectful. He says, shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right, God being the potter, does, God, does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? Okay, God... God can glorify himself as he sees fit, in other words. You know, you, you don't tell God that he can only glorify himself when he shows mercy. Sometimes when he shows justice, he glorifies himself. Verse 22, what if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? Okay, in other words, and it doesn't say that God prepared them for destruction, you know, for... They did a good job on their own, but he's, he's just speaking in general terms. He says, what if God, who can show his wrath and make his power known, what if he has patience on the objects of wrath, on people who deserve his wrath, who are prepared for destruction? Verse 23, what if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? 
even us, whom he also called not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Now he's going to stretch the Jewish mind even more here because it's enough for the Jewish people to realize, you mean salvation and and righteousness isn't coming by the obedience of the law? Now Paul's going to interject the Gentiles. He goes, yeah, guess what? It's all by faith because it's it's the cross, which is the message of grace that anybody can receive. It's a gift, and it's not just for you Jews. He says it's for the Gentiles too. He go on, he says, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. Now, again, he's using here an example of mercy. And he's he's quoting these couple of verses from the prophet Hosea. From Hosea, he's saying, saying, look, God also, by the way, can have mercy on the Gentile people. They're not a people that he calls his own, but yet he can call them his loved ones. And verse 26, it will happen that in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. It's another example of mercy. He says in verse 27, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved for the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been like Gomorrah. And what does he mean here? What he means here is, he's talking about, and they would be familiar with their own history, there's plenty of times when Israel was in direct rebellion against God, sinning to the max. And God says, despite this, he didn't destroy them completely. He says, as bad as they were, he didn't didn't treat them like Sodom and Gomorrah. He preserved a remnant. He preserved a remnant. So he says, even in the sinful state of Israel, God in his mercy preserved a remnant. He didn't wipe them all out like Sodom and Gomorrah. So he, he just is continuing to try to point out example after example of the mercy of God, of the mercy of God. In verse 30, he says, what then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. Okay, now he's saying here that some of the Jews are like, wait a minute, let me get this straight. The Gentiles can be made righteous And they don't even obey the law. They don't even have the law. And we Jews are not righteous. And we have the law. And he's like, yeah, I'm sorry to say. Because righteousness does not come by obeying the law. Righteousness comes by faith. The Gentiles get it. You fellow Jews don't. You think it's still about works. You can't improve upon the cross. And this is why he adds verse 33. As it is written, see I lay in Zion a stone. This is a reference to Jesus, the cornerstone, that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So he's inviting even his fellow Jews. He says, look, you can either stumble at at Jesus, or you can put your trust in him, and all your shame and guilt will be taken by him. Now, We still have 10 minutes to read us, so hold on, because we're going to go through chapter 10 as well. And I'm going to make it. Don't worry. I got it all written out. I got my notes, so we're good to go. Look at verse 1. I know some of you are already, come on, read us. Stop. Jesus is what you need to be thinking about. (laughs) Verse 1. Brothers, 
my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites, he's still on the same theme, 9, 10, 11, is that they may be saved. Okay, circle the word saved in your Bibles. Here's a little Greek word. You can write it in the margin of your Bible. Sozo, S-O-Z-O, sozo, S-O-Z-O. It means to be saved. That's what the English translates. But it means to deliver from danger or destruction. Now, again, if you were just kind of like a person on the street, never been to church, I just want to make sure everybody understands it's on the same page. We talked about being saved. What that means is you're being saved from the destruction and devastation of your own sinful condition. And again, the way we're saved is through faith and trust in Jesus. Okay, so I don't want to throw out the Christian lingo and leave some people behind. Like, what, what is the whole saved thing? It's, this, it's the work of Christ on the cross because of our sinful condition. We put our faith and trust in him, and then we are saved. Okay, so when people go around saying, hey, I'm saved, or when did you get saved? You know, they're, they're asking, like, when did you become a Christian? So that's the term that is used here. And Paul says, verse 2, for I can testify about them, the Jews, that they are zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. Okay? They, they don't understand here. They're missing some key information about Jesus. So verse 3, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, the fulfillment of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Okay? Amen to that? Verse 5, Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. And he's going to, through the rest of this chapter, he's going to give you three things about what salvation is. And we're going, to, we're going to see this here. So first he says, Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. Okay, so he's, he's quoting Moses. He goes, Old Testament was live by the law. All right? He says, but, verse 6, the righteousness that is by faith... All right, which is New Testament, says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So the first thing he says about salvation is it's not difficult. He says you don't have to bring Christ down from heaven or raise him up from the grave. He came to you. So it's, it's, not, it's not on us to kind of make this happen. Christ came to you. You don't have to go up to heaven and get something. You don't have to, you know, raise him up from the dead. Christ came to you. It's not difficult. He says in verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Second thing he says here is salvation is not distant. He says it's as close as confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. Now about, I don't know, maybe it's been a year now, about a year ago, um, I was surprised and startled to see again the man that led me to Christ when I was 15 years of age, and he happened to come here to church. I hadn't seen him in, in a few decades at that point, and, and so I introduced him to you, and, uh, and this is the verse that he, that he used to lead me to Christ, because 
as a church-going kid, I always thought I was saved just because I went to church and I knew who Jesus was. But when he confronted me and said, yeah, okay, you believe, great. He said, do you know the Bible says that even the demons believe and they tremble? Like, super, you just associated me with a demon. That's terrific. He goes, yeah, I just want you to know that head knowledge is not enough. You have to have a heart relationship. He says, have you ever confessed with your mouth Jesus is Lord? Because it it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. I said, no, I had never done that part. So this is an important verse. And it was then that I got saved because of what this verse is saying to us. You can have a lot of head knowledge. And there are a lot of people who know the Bible and they know about God and they know Jesus, but they don't have a relationship with them. And the relationship comes by personal confession that you proclaim Jesus is Lord with your mouth and you honor him with your life. And so this is how we get saved. It's, it's, but it's close to us. It's as close as confessing with your mouth, believing in your heart. Verse 11, as the scripture says, anyone, circle that word, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all, circle that word, who call on him. For everyone, circle that word, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Number three, salvation is not discriminating. Because the words anyone, verse 11, all, verse 12, everyone, verse 13. Salvation is for anyone and everyone who believes. That's why Peter said in Acts 10, 34, he said, I now realize that, that how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts men from every nation who do what is, who fear him and do what is right. Revelation 5, 9, John says, about Jesus, the Lamb, he says, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and nation. So salvation is available to anyone and everyone. It is universally extended. Verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those? who bring good news. I think my wife would uh, say that's not true for everybody. She doesn't like my feet. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Verse 16, But not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. King James says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. He's quoting scripture here from Psalm. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. Talking about the Gentiles. He will use the Gentiles to cause the Jews to be envious. What do you guys have? You know, we have the law, but you have life. And so he causes them to become envious this way. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. Again, you're talking about the Gentiles. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. It's quoting from the book of Isaiah. In other words, he's saying, They heard, and they are able to understand. They're just obstinate. And it's not just the Jewish people. 
There are plenty of people who hear and they can understand. They're just obstinate. I pray that's not you. I pray that you will respond to the mercy of the Lord Jesus who wants none to perish, but all to be saved. Amen. As you've been learning from this study in Romans, every person on earth has sinned and deserves the punishment of eternity separated from God. Jesus changed all of that, though. He came to die in your place, to give you grace, and to offer you the gift of life with Him in heaven forever. Are you ready to accept this gift? We'd love to talk with you more about it, so give us a call at 703-771-1500. That number again is 703-771-1500. We'd like to also direct you to our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the Grow tab, click on How to Get to Heaven to hear from Pastor Gary about this important decision. We're so excited for you. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Cornerstone Connection, you'll find them at cornerstoneconnection.cc as well, or download our mobile app to take them with you wherever you go. We'd love to meet you too, so if you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, come visit us at Cornerstone Chapel. We meet each Sunday and Wednesday to spend time in prayer and worship and studying the Bible, and we're excited to have you join us. You'll find directions on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for tuning in today for Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.